Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, your doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On this episode, we'll be talking with Andy, also a doctor of physical therapy. And to get us started, Andy, why don't you give us a little history about your PT journey? What's up, guys? Um, a little bit of history of my PT journey. I guess one of the things I always tell people is I didn't get in on my first try. So I applied to 15 schools, got one interview. That one interview, I ended up getting waitlisted and eventually got out of the waitlist. So I started out, you know, taking a lot of extracurricular stuff because I had no idea what I wanted to do. But I ended up having an injury my senior year of college. And when I got, you know, physical therapy treatment by a physical therapist, I actually loved what they were doing. I was just amazed at how much they cared about my progress. So I thought, you know, maybe that's something I can do, being someone that likes to train and I could essentially get paid to train people. So that's kind of how my physical therapy journey started. Cool. What settings did you do your clinicals in? Did you know that you always wanted to be in more of like a strength conditioning sports type setting or did it change over time? For me, I didn't really have any preconceived notions. I've, I've always worked in like outpatient settings. I've only had one clinical rotation. I hope none of my CIs are listening to this, but I've only had one clinical rotation that Ashley enjoyed and I was inpatient. I was inpatient in Northern California and St. Joe's and I just felt like I learned a lot from, you know, that differential diagnosis standpoint. You get to really apply what you learn in neuro, um, even the ortho stuff matter with like the non-weight bearing, all those stuff. But it's just one of those things where you really see how much impact you can make on individual, you know, getting people mobilized, giving people their independence back. Like you can make a lot of changes within just a couple of sessions seeing them. And when you provide that kind of education to family and caretakers, I really enjoyed being able to make a big impact right then and there. Awesome. What was your first job out of PT school? And where has your first month being a new grad kind of got you to where you are now? First job out of PT school is actually the job I'm still at right now, which is Reload PT. We work out of a performance supplement gym in a city called Performance House. It's on 14th and 5th. And it's really different because we don't see a lot of people that are post-op and we don't see a lot of people like, Hey, I got an ankle sprain. I'm going to go see a PT. A lot of the people that we work with are, I don't want to say basket cases, but we have a lot of people that come in with persistent pain for years. You know, they've seen multiple healthcare providers, haven't had any success. I've had people come in and they have had pain in like six different body parts. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed. Like, I don't know where to start. So being a new grad coming out of PT school, it's like, holy cow, I'm overwhelmed because when people ask me, like, how many of your cases are complex, I would say, like, on average, probably like 60% of the cases we work with are pretty complex because there's a lot of psychosocial factors involved. But as a new grad, like, I think this first year has been really difficult for me, but it's been a good learning experience because I failed pretty quickly. Like my first few patients that I've had were someone that ended up in the ER for back pain, someone that ended up limping with knee pain after our session. So a lot of these things where we learn, you know, on social media from other people, like just load it, just do this. There's a lot of nuance 
behind, you know, just loading somebody and just getting someone more resilient. And I think failing and like seeing how to navigate these situations and making the person comfortable during flare-ups is really helping become a better clinician. Yeah, for sure. And kind of going into more of the social media thing, because that's how obviously we connected. Where do you get a lot of your information from? Or I should say like who? And how do you, as a clinician, piece through what is out there of like what you should actually take to heart and believe versus, you know, the nocebic type of, okay, this is a bunch of crap, for lack of better words. And that's something I still struggle with is like, you see a lot of people doing a lot of like crazy things on social media. And I'm just wondering like, one, is it right? Is it too basic? And, you know, am I helping people? Because I see people doing all these crazy things that are almost like party tricks. But I think what's really helped me navigate social media is kind of understanding like, what am I trying to do with the person in front of me? You know, whether it's like educating them, whether it's trying to build them strength, endurance, all these kind of different qualities. And I can do that with multiple different ways. And sometimes social media gives you really good creative ways of incorporating exercise. So when I look at, you know, social media, there's obviously very exercise heavy in the rehab realm, but I do appreciate some of the nuances behind when people post certain things like, what's the why behind exercise? Am I just getting like top three exercises for shoulder rehab? Or someone showing me like an application, giving me context, why he prescribed the exercise or, you know, who he prescribes it to. My mentor is Jared Boyd. That's someone that I had through the Level Up Initiative, which is a great organization for uh, students and new grads. I follow him a lot. Uh, my boss, Dr. Ryan Chow. Craig Levinson, he's a Cairo. LLA Sports Bind, he's just a legend. Big fan of Coach Darius, who's a trainer. Uh, Lee Taff, he's also a trainer. Derek Hansen. So I try to get my um, information just like anybody, honestly. I think right now I'm very geared towards exercise and learning how to become a better clinician, whereas before I focused a lot on like mindset. And when it was like more on the mindset side of things, you know, I followed a lot of people like Zach Gabor, Seth Fallon, uh, people for cl clinical athlete, people that were, I thought were really leading the uh, charge for like new grads and students to thrive. Yeah. I mean, you just noted a lot of people that I also follow and I also think are some of the greats in the field because they're just constantly pushing better narratives out there for kind of holding us as clinicians accountable to be the best clinician to practice at the top of our license. I feel like I use that term a lot and I've said it a lot today so far, just like, and that's a good <laughs> reminder of students too, because you have to think even big picture as someone in a clinic when you're not the owner of someone might be telling you what to do. You have to remember it's your license and you have to practice at the top of it. I do want to touch on a little bit too. So the people, you said you have a lot of complex cases that come into the clinic that you work with. Where are they necessarily coming from? Are they direct access? Are they referrals from physicians? Or are they just finding you kind of like on social media? So, you know, Ryan, my boss has been like a personal trainer for like 10 years before he went to PT school. And then he graduated and he opened up, I think, his own business rehab base within a year of graduating. But he's obviously got a lot of leads within the city. But for me personally, I think the best thing that I've done is develop more relationships within the community. It's so random, but I try to get to know everybody on a first name basis whether it's the person at the coffee shop, the, the barista, whether it's the cashier, like Trader Joe's, I just try to meet as many people as possible, be as friendly as possible. And there's just random things that come up. Um, I've had students come and shadow 
and I get students that DM me all the time. And there's definitely some clinicians where like, oh, it's not worth my time because I've got so many other things to do. But I try to answer as many questions as I can. When they ask the shadow, you know, I set up some time. Even if, you know, they're not doing anything for me, I just want to pay it forward again. So I just try to put myself out there as much as I can. And that's kind of what's been happening is I've been getting leads from just everybody. But the main thing for me is, let's say you get like two leads. I try to do as best of a job as possible, meaning I follow up with them after our session. I give them programs and all these things to do. And from that, if I do a really good job with two people, they might refer me their significant other, a friend of theirs. And that's kind of how it started picking up when I started last year. Two of my first clients I did really well with ended up recommending their spouses, close friends. And then I started treating their close friends, spouses, and it just becomes this chain where, you know, you're seeing somebody and it's like a friend of a friend of a friend. and You're trying to connect the dots when you meet someone for the first time. Right, right. I always ask this question because I know sometimes when physicians or other healthcare practitioners like perhaps write scripts or something and now like your plan of care is going to be different from them. Have you ever experienced communication with another healthcare practitioner where there maybe have been pushback or a disagreement on the plan of care or maybe it was an athlete trying to get back to sport? I haven't had to deal with that that much, but I do I think we deal with it from a different perspective, meaning obviously when you're working with people in chronic pain, and I don't want to generalize it, but typically a lot of people look for these like short-term fixes. So I spend a lot of time educating people. Hey, what do you think of injections? Hey, I've heard of PRP the other day. I see you guys got Theraguns in a gym. Like, would you recommend a Theragun? So it's always uh, an uphill battle with trying to figure out, you know, what's the low-hanging fruit for you and not just giving you a bunch of stuff that I know might give you temporary relief. But in the long term, we know like injections and stuff like that aren't necessarily that great for you. Um, same thing with just doing things like Theraguns. Like it's cool, but it's not going to create any long-term changes. But with that, we don't really get a lot of referrals from physicians. I would say there are a couple, but they're not like orthos. Mm-hmm. We do treat a couple of doctors and like surgeons, but <laughs> they kind of refer us. They might not be in orthopedics, but they'll refer like friends or family. Right. And when you get those more complex patients that maybe have chronic low back pain, for example, and there's a huge reliance or dependence on these quick fixes, what are some tips that you think you can give students or even new grads or other clinicians who are listening to work through these kinds of cases or best educate the patients and honestly just potentially not lose them from PT? Yeah, that's... And it, it, that's going to change with like every individual. But one of the things I always ask during my assessment is, you know, what are some of the things that you've done in the past? How did you feel like it helped or if it didn't help? So usually it would say things like, you know, I got stretched a lot, ultrasound, this, that, and it didn't really help much. So it's kind of getting them to say like this particular style of treatment doesn't work because I don't want to tell them that it doesn't work. I just want them to kind of come to that conclusion themselves. And I usually say, you know, if that's something that didn't work. I'm willing to give something else a shot. And then from there, that's kind of when we start to think more orthopedically. So if I'm working with someone, I have to figure out what their goals are. So if someone's a runner, then I know they have to be able to do a single leg pogo jump. So what comes before a single leg pogo jump? They've got to be able to do calf raises. And you kind of scale everything back. You see where someone's at. So when you take someone, ask them what the goals are. 
and then look at the demands of that goal. So if someone has to jump, how high do they have to jump from? If someone has to change direction, then they have to be able to hit positive shin angles. And can they do like a split squat? Can they do a skater squat or anything like that? So just looking at certain exercises where it almost represents the demands of the sport or the, or the shapes of the sport, and then slowly progressing them from there. And that's kind of where we spend a lot of time on the interview, getting to know the person more, and then tying everything from the movement assessment to their goals. Like, hey, I know you might not be able to run right now, but you're able to do a calf raise. And if you're able to do a calf raise on two legs, I know you'll be able to do it on one leg. If you're going to be able to do it on one leg, you'll be able to jump on two legs and hop soon. When you jump on two legs and hop, you'll get on one leg. And then you can do skips, and then you'll be able to you know, build up to runs. So that's kind of where we tie everything together for them. We kind of create this checks and balances. Like once you get to this point, we're going to move to the next point. Once you get to this point, we'll move to the next point. And sooner or later, your body will adapt and you get back to running. But it's all about, I think, getting people to understand that they need to become a little bit more resilient, whether it's their thoughts of their body or their body's ability to buffer stress. Yeah, I think those are good points, too, because you have to think, too, what are their goals? What's going to be the functional side of it? And I know everyone is always so eager to get straight to that goal, but I think really like your point in saying that you break down the movements and kind of start back from the basics or like what is actually the preemptive movement to the functional goal. I think that's a great point to make as well. I do want to ask too, like, I know as students, we don't get much strength and conditioning or like any kind of athletic intense kind of therex as students <laughs> in school. And it's one of the biggest barriers that I know I talk about often with a bunch of people on here, because it's like, how is a student, if you have an interest in working with more of a training kind of clientele or more high athletic population, how have you kind of filled in those gaps? Or what do you suggest students to do to fill in those gaps if that's you think where they want to lean into? Yeah, the main thing is like, I would say, be open to learning from different people. So I think one of the things, at least within my program, we would say things like, oh, so-and-so patient saw like a chiropractor and like, that's supposed to be a bad thing but we know that not all chiropractors are bad. It's just certain chiropractors hold bad narratives, just like certain PTs do. So being open to learn from like different people. I've picked up, you know, learning from like trainers, group fitness instructors, and I've never would have thought that I have to learn from these people, but, you know, group fitness instructors are really great at motivating people to do things that they couldn't do. And that's something that I feel like I have to do every single day at the office. Trainers, you know, they study training essentially for a living. They don't know too much about maybe the pain aspect of things, but if something's required for performance, then it's required for rehab. So that's kind of you know where I get a lot of information from is from trainers. And usually you meet one trainer, I ask them like, you know, who's your biggest influence or someone I shadow? And they'll give me a couple of names. I'll look them up. And honestly, you can find a lot of great resources on YouTube. <laughs> the NSCA posts a lot of their lectures on YouTube. So I've listened to a bunch of those. And if you really enjoy the content you put out, then I would definitely purchase the books because most of these books, they're not nearly as bad as like PT, you know, textbooks and stuff. <laughs> so you're spending like maybe 30 bucks on a book. And from there, I think that just kind of starts where you can have the potential to connect with a lot of trainers and elite level coaches. Because I, I'll message people sometimes like, hey, you know, you wrote this excerpt in your book. It really resonated with me because I'm working with a client that actually has this deficit. And I was able to apply it and get them better, get them back on the field. And I don't think that would have been possible without, you know, knowing this body of knowledge. So 
for me, even though it might seem trivial from your end, I always think about like how it feels to get a message from someone like, Hey Andy, like your content really like changed my perspective as a student. I'm like, I just can't stop smiling for the rest of the day. So <laughs> plugging these little things really give you a way to kind of build these relationships with other people. Yeah, absolutely. What is a day-to-day -day like for you at Reload and has it changed at all, obviously, with COVID? I know you were talking to me earlier about whether or not things are going to be closed down again, but what, as far as like patient care, have you transitioned to virtual at all or is it still partly virtual, still in the clinic? Yeah, so right now we're like half virtual, half in the clinic, just depending on who still wants to be seen virtually. But right now, like right before Thanksgiving was probably the busiest I've ever been. I think I did like 60 hours in a week, but my schedule was like 6 a.m. to like 8 p.m. Monday to Thursday and like 6 a.m. to like 3 p.m. on Fridays. So I've, I'm kind of open as much as I can be for, I just find it hard to say no. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of bad, but at the same time, like I just want to keep helping people. So for me, I just keep the schedule as open as I possibly can be. And then, you know, in the future, I'll try to condense it. But a typical day is, you know, I wake up at 4.30, make coffee, walk my dog, get to the train by 5, get to the clinic by like 5.30, 5.40. I so usually early. have like six <laughs> people in a row. It's way too early, but it's actually not too bad. I usually have like six people in a row. Then I'll have like a meeting or a break to like work out, get some lunch. And I'll see like another like four to five people. And then between that, I'm, if I have like a 30 minute break, I'll follow up with some text messages to some of my clients, emails, I'll update their online programs if some people are overdue. And then on Saturdays, I work in the mornings, I do athletic adults, which is like a online training platform we have. I do the live sessions on Saturday morning. And I also have a youth athletic development camp on Saturdays after the athletic adults. So I'm going from home, driving into the city as quick as I can and training kids at a random park in West Village. Nice. I mean, that's a very full schedule. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a little <laughs> bit about, I know Reload, I don't know who exactly is involved. This is partly my fault for not looking this up before, but the kettlebell work that you guys do. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> when quarantine started and one of the things, obviously working in an out of network cash base only, you can only serve one type of population. So when I first got hired by Ryan, I, you know, we had a talk, but suffering is suffering, whether you're rich or you're poor, but I want to be able to improve access to people that might not be as um, lucky to have that kind of, you know, income. So athletic adults was kind of a way to bridge that gap and also improve access to people that might be in the middle of nowhere and have no one nearby to train them. So the idea is that there's multiple ways. If someone was just wanting to train and improve their performance, they can do athletic adults. If someone was in pain, then we would assess them, give them certain things to you know, modify, and then put them on an athletic adults program because that program is essentially our athletic development model. So we take them from like the lowest of lows in terms of like exercise prescription intensity and then slowly build up their volume and intensity from there. So they go from like, you know, glute bridges to like continuous jumps. So things like that where it's like we're slowly bridging the gap of very basic tissue specific exercises and doing more complex things like plyometrics and sprinting. So we take them through the whole spectrum of that. The program's like 10 weeks long and we do two live coaching sessions a week. 
So that's how we can continually kind of modify training for people. So we think people are a good fit, then we'll assess them and then we'll put them into the program. We'll post a, hey, come in and see us, you know, once a week. And sometimes that's a little bit too much. You know, if someone doesn't have good insurance or they can't afford it, there's not a lot you can do within one session. You have to continually like monitor someone's training response and their ability to adapt. So that's kind of what athletic adults is for us. Now we did foundations first, but now we've got kettlebells, which is more performance-based. And a lot of what we do with kettlebells is we combine it with plyometric moves and sprinting and other things. So it's not just like a kettlebell swings and doing this. It's, you know, we're pairing up swings with like broad jumps and things like that. So it's just a fun way to train kettlebells. Awesome. It's kind of, and you hit like all different demographics and I guess populations as well. And, you know, it's, you're providing value as not only a PT, but also just someone with like that training sports conditioning type background and really applying all that different knowledge. And I think that's just a one great way to kind of stay like really well-rounded and at the top of your game when it comes to all the different patients that can really just kind of <laughs> walk through your door, essentially. I was going to say, so this is kind of like one of the things that I talked to a couple of students like from time to time. It's like a very unofficial mentorship, but I try to keep myself open to a couple of students. So when they ask me like, hey, like, I'm not sure what to learn from like an S&T perspective. I'm like, you should do this course yourself, not a course. For them, I wanted to think of it like a course, but it's essentially a training program that's going to give you every single exercise prescription, progression and regression. And then, you know, obviously during the live coaching sessions, we break down the importance of everything and how to connect the dots. So for me, like, I also built that out with in mind, like, hey, we can really help trainers and clinicians learn kind of what we do in a more informal manner. Yeah, and I think that's another great point, because even though I was an athlete prior to PT school, which was now looking back, I don't understand why I never was in a physical gym. I was always practicing like the actual sport. So I was never deadlifting or using a squat rack or anything. And I played on a pretty competitive level. So, but that's a whole other topic. So going into PT school, like I relied heavily on the therics that they taught us. And I actually found a fitness program, my third year PT school. I did it for like four months and to get myself in the gym and start feeling everything. And I think that's a huge way to actually kind of understand what your patients would be going through and why you're prescribing certain exercises. So I think that's totally a great point. Like if you have questions, maybe try to figure it out, get into the gym yourself and really just take it for a ride first. And then if, you know, you can always clarify later. Yeah. It's always like, you know, that's why I gave up like powerlifting, like beginning of this year, because I wanted to know more about like plyometrics, kettlebells. And I just didn't feel confident, like teaching someone how to do a swing or teaching someone track drills and progressing them to like sprinting because I was like, I've never done this. I've never yeah. like taken my due diligence to kind of figure out how it feels because people don't understand like when you sprint or like run in place, do A runs for like 10 seconds, it's pretty tiring. So like when you see certain people prescribe like sprints in place for like 30 seconds, it's like, that's going to kill somebody. <laughs> you know, it's going to zap them with their energy. So just getting a better understanding of like what it feels like and understanding that this particular movement might be too much for someone just by feeling it. So. Yeah, and then you can work on like the load prescription and everything, which is obviously once you're feeling it, you can kind of get a better sense now if someone's in pain or if someone's showing more weakness. If you're having trouble doing this without that, then they're probably going to even have more trouble. So you really need to learn when to like scale back. Yeah, exactly. 
I do want to touch on because we, like I said earlier, we met through social media and or connected through social media. So what are some of the things that you are kind of doing with your page right now? And like, where do you see it going for the future? Because I know I'm always sharing your stuff because it's like really solid content. And I'm like, all right, we need to figure out what is Andy's next move and kind of see where he wants to go. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about this before and I think my next move is going to be, I'm still going to like post a lot of like random thoughts and quotes and stuff like that in the middle, <laughs> but I've been thinking about kind of posting case studies and then using the subsequent content to break down the case study. So like, why did I pick a particular move and how is it going to progress them to doing their goals? So I have a lot of case studies recorded on my phone of people that I've worked with, evaluated. And it would be cool to like post a case study and then kind of explain the why behind all the exercises, how it's relevant, and you know where everything falls into place. So for me, I've, I kind of want to be more of an educational role in the future. Obviously, I'm still pretty fresh out of school, but my mindset has always been like, I still want to treat people for as long as I possibly can but I want to move to a role where I can educate other clinicians, other trainers and do that because I really do enjoy kind of teaching people. It's always been something I've always wanted to do. And whenever I had the opportunity to, I always step away from those sessions, like kind of, I don't know, it just feels really awesome. Yeah. Knowing that you've like provided people value. I love it. Great, great stuff. What are some final tips that you have for students, whether it's getting into like kind of the role that you're in or even just PT in general? Make yourself known in the community. I mean, I don't think you have to be posting like a ton of content or doing a lot of that stuff. Like even if you're a student, I still think it's still valuable to like, hey, I read this research paper this year, um, this week, and this is what I think about it. Make a post because as we know, like there's a lot of, for lack of better words, garbage on Instagram. So if you're consolidating some research and reading to certain things and putting out content that at least will empower people, I think you're fighting the good fight. And there's a lot of people that will appreciate that. You know, you don't have to have all the answers, but you should be able to ask thought-provoking questions. You should be able to provide your thoughts on certain things. And I would say, like, as a student, you should make content. Not a lot of people will agree with me, but I don't think it's about developing a brand, but I think it's about like being able to explain your reasoning behind stuff. Because the more you explain things, the more confident you feel in kind of educating people. If it's the first time you're explaining something out loud to a patient during your first clinical, you're going to feel kind of out of it. <laughs> it's going to feel choppy. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> and, yeah, my first evaluation, I was like sweating. Like I legitimately was like about to have a panic attack. It's really tough, but I think the one takeaway from having social media pages is that like, it allows me to write my thoughts out on paper and whatever I'm learning in school, I can reinforce it by creating content. And then whenever I learn something new, then you can kind of, kind of show people the journey of what it's like to be a student, what it's like to be in school, because not everything you learn is right, but you get to see your growth over time. And I think that's a really fun thing to do. Yeah, I think that's pretty solid. And I, I even think back to when I started PT school, there wasn't really anybody on social media as far as PTs. Like there was a small handful, which I guess you can consider like the OGs who now have huge followings, but there's even <laughs> more so, I think in the past year that I've had my account, I feel like I started at the same time as so many other people. I'm, it's just like booming all of a sudden. So if you're a student listening to this and you have an account, get to it. 
and start, you know, really advocating but, for your profession and holding yourself accountable. And I, I just met up with another PT yesterday for a quick like lunch and coffee. But it's really valuable to also meet people within the community. That's not just trainers and stuff. Like, like I've said before, but other clinicians, even if you guys are serving like the same area, it's not about like, oh, who's going to be busier or he's going to steal my patients or anything like that. You should meet the people in your community. You should get to know each other because essentially the better idea of what people think of physical therapy, meaning if they're constantly exposed to more and more people that think like you, and if you know what you're doing is good, then that's going to take away from, you know, what the public considers physical therapy, like no treatment. Mm -hmm. So whenever someone's like got an active approach to rehab, I'm willing to connect and, you know, make friends and just chat because one, it allows people to be like, Hey, like, let's say Steph, you shared my stuff. It's like, Oh, Steph's not crazy. Cause she posts these things alone. Like there's someone else saying the same similar things that Steph is saying. So for me, it's the same thing. Like I'll share whatever. I don't think of it from like a scarcity mindset. I'm like, Oh, I'm not crazy. Sometimes I have to think to myself, like, good rehab is like not the norm. It's just a lot of terrible narratives. So whenever someone says something that's like evidence informed, I'm like, oh, I I could really appreciate that. And I'll share. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, yeah, pretty solid because it's, it's true. And we have to, in order to continue to push forth the profession, I think we just all need to constantly be building blocks and pushing each other forward because in reality, we're not competing, like you said, with each other. And it's a way to better our patients and better the community that they're going to be going back into. And I think that's just something that we kind of also need to remind ourselves that we're all doing it for the betterment of each other and the, and our patients. And it's not a numbers game. It's not a who has what patients game. It's we're <laughs> here to serve people. And I'll just keep it at that. Yeah, for sure. I do think these relationships like have helped me become a better clinician, you know, being able to talk to people like you, there's so many people within like New York city itself that there's so many resources and there's people that are specialized, you know, in so many different things like ACL rehab, pelvic floor. And these are things that I still need to get better at. So being able to connect with these individuals will let me know like, Hey, I might not be the best PT for you. Like I know a guy that might be better at rehabbing this, or I know someone else that with women's health, like that's out of my scope. So mm-hmm. being able to be a, a solid, you know, source of information for someone, your patient is going to be key. Yeah. And that's actually a, another solid point because I was talking to, um, you guys will hear another episode with Jen Morgan, who is a pelvic PT. And I actually remember saying to her too, I never really understood what pelvic PT and that's kind of where I have to hold myself accountable because if I was an outpatient and I had someone walking through my door who I feel like I can't serve, I need to know where to properly refer them. And even though it's another PT, I need to own up to the skills that like I don't necessarily have and know who exactly has those skills. So just saying, oh, I don't know. I, don't, I can't help you. It's like an orthopedic surgeon doing heart surgery, you know, <laughs> it's so yeah. out of the scope. It's like a completely different field, essentially. But we just have to know enough where it's out of our expertise. For sure. Exactly. On a more fun note, what are some things that you have done outside of the PT world the past eight months in quarantine? I was practicing this guy, the ukulele, for a little bit. That's fine. Um, Yeah, doing a lot of ukulele. I brewed beer. I got back into photography a little bit. Honestly, during the past eight months, I spent a lot of time just like reading, spending downtime with my girlfriend, cooking more, doing stuff like that. In the beginning of quarantine, we would essentially just work out, take my dog for a really long walk, 
always cook something like really cool or like try new recipes. And then from there, I just pick up really random habits here and there, like the ukulele. For me, it's always about like doing things that where I don't have to think about rehab stuff. I somehow yeah. always relate things back to like rehab and training. So as far away from it as I can get sometimes, like just cooking, doing things like brewing beer. For me, it's like, oh, I don't have to think about anything. Just worry about this timers, recipes and stuff like that. It's good to get your head out of the game for a little bit. Exactly. I love it. Those are some great fun activities and exactly what you said. I think we all need to separate work or in the sense of rehab from fun and just have like a completely separate tone for the day. Uh, where can people find you if they have questions or want to slide into your DMs? Yes. Yeah, so if you're on Instagram, you can find me at, at dr.andychen. And my company or the company I work for is Reload PT. So we have also at reload.pt and www.reloadpt.com if you ever want to schedule something. But that's about it in terms of contacting me. I have a Twitter, but Twitter is a whole different ballgame. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Totally easier to just DM on Instagram. I feel that. All right. So there you guys have it. This is Andy Chen from Reload PT. And thank you, Andy, for hopping on today. Appreciate you, Steph. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.